The Ray Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English-language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit arabnews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. special correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And hello, everybody. This is Ray Hanania. It is Wednesday, May 11th, 2022. We're broadcasting live in Detroit and in Washington, D.C. Tomorrow on Thursday, we will rebroadcast in the morning in Detroit at 7 a.m. Eastern on WNZK AM 690. So if you missed this show, you can hear it again uh, the following morning. And we'll be broadcasting, rebroadcasting tomorrow in Chicago at 12 noon CST time and WNWI AM 1080, which is a big station here in uh, the Chicagoland area. Uh, before I introduce our topics, I just have to say how depressed I am learning about uh, someone that I met, Shireen Abu Akla, who was a, a Christian Palestinian uh, Arab American journalist. She was American. And I wonder where is the outcry in this country for her killing the other day, shot in the head. Um, and according to her journalism colleagues who were with her, it was by the Israeli government. So um, I hope that this country, when an American is killed, they investigate it and we'll see what happens. Today, our topics, I got two great guests. Uh, later at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to be talking with the acting director of the United Nations Relief and Works Agency Representative Office in Washington, D.C., Bill Dury. And uh, Bill's going to talk to us about the challenges that uh, uh, the U.N. Refugee Works Agency has faced over the past few years, uh, especially when former President uh, Trump cut the funding and uh, how President Biden has restored that funding. We'll go through what UNRWA does, um, how it helps people, and what the purpose is. But in our first segment, I'm really proud to uh, welcome my first guest, Mohammed Khairullah. He's the mayor of the borough of Prospect Park, New Jersey. He's a Syrian-American immigrant. Uh, mayor Carrillo was first elected to the city council in 2001 and then elected mayor in 2005, and he's been mayor ever since. Mayor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you very much, uh, Ray. Uh, marhaba. And I want to echo your sentiment of giving our condolences to the family of uh, Shireen and um, the Palestinians all over, inside and outside of Palestine, and the entire Arab world. Um, she, she was definitely a hero who was a voice for the voiceless. And um, we, we pray for her family and for her loved one. Uh, that may the Lord ease their pain and ease our pain. As you stated very eloquently, as the world becomes silent every time a Palestinian or an Arab 
or a Muslim is is killed. Uh, what a shame. Yeah, where is I mean, listen, we're American and I, I want to talk about your background because it's an amazing story. You immigrated from Syria uh, then you, uh, I think in the 80s, and then you got involved in politics. So I want to find out why, you know, with uh, Shireen's killing, she's an American citizen. I mean, even I'm not saying it's not important about her being in the Middle East, but what is always depressing to me is, you know, here you are, the mayor, law abiding, uh, dedicating your life to the help uh, to help the people in your uh, city in New Jersey. Uh, I've been a journalist forever. I served during the Vietnam War. And I love to repeat that over and over again, because people think that Arabs are not as patriotic as everybody else in this country. We are. My dad and my uncle served during World War II. I don't understand, especially in a country that is, quote unquote, Christian, why there isn't a bigger outcry when a Christian Arab who is American is killed. So I, I don't know. I, I think it has to do with the very topic you and I are going to be talking about. How do we engage in this country? You've been very successful in doing it. How did you do it? Tell us your story. Well, you know, we we left Syria in 1980 during the first uprising against Assad, the father. Um, my father and my grandfather were um, involved in terms of opposing the government. Uh, it was, there was no uh, armed involvement. My, my, my grandfather was a sheikh in, in his own masjid and had a lot of followers. Uh, and that bothered the government and they started harassing them, imprisoning them uh, to the point where we had to, to, to flee to Saudi Arabia. Uh, but in 1991, uh, we uh, came to the United States as immigrants again. Um, so, uh, you know, I wanted to give back to, to my community and I always uh, had a passion for firefighting. So there was, there was a fork in the road. My, my father had a massive heart attack. He was in a hospital. So I started volunteering at my local hospital and I also volunteered as a firefighter. And that has its own unique twist because when I first applied to become a volunteer firefighter, they said, uh, well, you're not a citizen. I'm like, here we go again, not a citizen, but we can change the rules. And um, if, if the local governing body agrees and we could take you in. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, wait, so the president or the king doesn't have to rule on this. Uh, you could actually change rules and laws locally. So that actually piqued my interest about uh, how government runs in the United States. And through my volunteerism, I've had the local fire department before I became a U.S. citizen actually say, why don't you run for office? And, you know, it planted another seed in my mind. So in April of 2000, I became a citizen um, and I spoke to my local imam and I said, look, I want to run for office. And he told me to wait up a little bit. But. Within one year, April of 2001, I was an official candidate to, to run for office. And the rest has been history. Um, I was going to say, well, that had to be tough. I mean, I want you to continue the story. But uh, April 2001, and then what, five, six months later, um, there's the uh, attacks on the World Trade Center uh, in neighboring New York. And I, I think you can see, you used to be able to see the World Trade Center 
I think from uh, Pat, uh, your area out there uh, in New Jersey. Absolutely. How we're, did that ha- what did, what was the impact of that on on your uh, uh, candidacy? Did you get elected prior to the attacks? No, or, no. Wow. As a matter of fact, that was the um where I paused. Um, I wanted to continue there, but yes, I was written off. Uh, I mean, you could look at my name, Hamad and Khairallah. So right. <laughs> it was, uh, and 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 you had the stereotypes, and and you know, uh, the 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 unfortunate terrorists who did it, and and we call them for who they are. You know, they yeah. are terrorists. They could claim whatever religion they want, including mine. Uh, they are terrorists. Um, but here's the point, and and here's the essence, probably behind our own co- the entire conversation and and, and your initial statement. The fact that I was engaged in my community, the fact that people recognize who I am as Muhammad Khairallah, as a person who's a volunteer, who put his life on the line to uh, save lives and property, I think that is key in our engagement in our local communities. Um, People need to know us for who we are as individuals rather than what the media tells them about us. And that's what elevates uh, us within our local community. I was going to say that uh, uh, when I was growing up, my dad used to say, my dad came here in the 1920s from Palestine, to Jerusalem, my mother's from Bethlehem. Uh, he wanted me to be American. So he made a sacrifice. Instead of making me learn Arabic, like all my cousins, if you talk to my cousins, they sound perfect Arabic. And you think, oh, what did you just get off the, you know, the plane from, uh, you know, the Middle East? No, they've been living here forever. Me, in my case, he wanted me to have perfect English because he knew that there was a different role I might be able to play. And I think that what was so important about what you just said is he would say that many Arab Americans are physically here, but mentally they're still back home. So they spend their whole life here being nice law abiding they pay their taxes they have businesses but they spend all their time trying to do something back home first i think in my opinion and that's why i think you're successful we have to be successful here first before we can help our families friends and people back home don't you think uh agreed you have to actually become i and i think specifically in this day and age you have to be a global citizen um, uh, I, one of my mottos is act locally, think globally. Um, what goes on around the world, uh, definitely pertains to us. So when we act like we're, we live in our own, own tower and what happens is not going to affect us, it definitely will affect us because look what happened in Syria. We allowed Russia to bomb the heck out of Syria and now Putin thinks he could invade anywhere he wants and no one's going to stop him. Um, now now he's attacking Ukraine and who knows what's next. Uh, this is how you create dictators uh, and, and, and brutal regimes. Um, so it's definitely important that you do attach to your heritage, but that doesn't make you less patriotic. That doesn't make you uh, less of a person that wants to serve the local community. I tell you, my my children um, speak Arabic at home. Uh, they are not allowed to speak English, and I'll say it. Because 
That's all right. Here's the thing. They're going to speak all the English they want outside. But in order for us to maintain the language, in order for me to keep them connected with family, uh, they have to be able to, to communicate with them. So we do not talk to each other in English at home. They'll wow. hear me. They'll hear me talk outside in English. We don't talk to each other in English. We talk to each other in Arabic. We could talk. They know those who speak English. We have to speak English to them. But between us, that's our connection is is the language. So uh, I, I'm I'm dealing now with my four year old and my five year old as we transition them into English. And look, they're my fourth and fifth child, and we've been successful. So I encourage people to actually not be afraid to speak Arabic with their young children because you want to give them that foundation and then allow them to have the opportunity to communicate with their loved ones who are overseas or who are here who can't speak Arabic. They're not going to miss out on the English experience, I promise you. Yeah, I, I was going to say that I think when my dad got here in the 1920s, it was a completely different world. Than when you came here in the 80s. And I agree. If my dad had come here now, I would have hoped he would have insisted. And I think he would have been more encouraged to have me speak Arabic fluently. The truth is, I understand it when Arabs talk to me because my mother, well, she didn't speak any English when, when they got married and they came here. So she spoke to me in Arabic. I understood it completely. But uh, it is different today. Is it better uh, for us overall, you think, for Arabs? And 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 are we Arab or are we Muslim and Christian? I know that I'm Christian, but I feel Muslim by culture all the yeah. time because we come from the same place. But should we be promoting the Arab identity more? Because that gets mixed up. That gets thrown around. That gets beat up so much. I think worse than the way they attack Arab Christians or Arab Muslims. I think that it word Arab is literally a four letter word, you know, to many of Americans. And are we doing enough to change that? Well, look, I, I think it's up to you how you want to affiliate. You want to affiliate as an Arab first and uh, a, a Christian later after or for me as an Arab first and a Muslim or you want to affiliate. It, it depends on what identity you feel closer to. Um, but the bottom line is that doesn't uh, separate us from being American citizens. Uh, you could be anything. Look, if you would have been born um, in South America, right, you, 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 you're going to affiliate with that land and you're going to love that land. Um, so it doesn't matter what you affiliate with. What what matters is how do you serve humanity? Right. Uh, what contributions do you add? Do you add, uh, or what positive contributions do you add? Do you add to your local community and to the larger society as a whole? What impression do you leave in the world after you're gone? Um, do, did you raise good children that are going to serve their communities and humanity? So you know, it's I I think. Affiliating is, is whatever makes you comfortable, but what really matters is how you serve and, and what legacy you leave. Now, when you got here, you're a great success story. You're a, you are really a role model for Arab Americans and Muslim Americans who want to get involved in politics, because I think politics is very important. It is like the handles and the 
controls for everything that impacts our lives. And we don't have enough of our hands on those uh, controls to open the valves, to give us the money that we pay taxes, but I don't see any money coming back to me in Chicago. We've had a huge community in Chicago for years, and I think we're totally dysfunctional here. And yet when I look at other places like Dearborn, when I look at uh, Patterson, when I look at uh, you in Prospect Heights, I'm going, why aren't we the same? Why haven't we be had? Why haven't we have been successful as you? Um, I, I think you just need to have a good role model. That's that's a start. When I first was elected uh, 21 years ago, I think we could count the Arab or Muslim elected officials on one hand. Uh, now, New Jersey, uh, one of the smallest state in terms of in the nations, in terms of geographical size, has probably the most number of Muslim elected officials pound for pound compared to any state. We have over 30 right now wow. at many levels. And we just broke the glass ceiling of having uh, Muslim elected officials in the state house. Um, so it's just that getting that momentum going. Uh, looking for the role models, uh, getting our volunteers in. I, I guarantee you, most people that you talk to in New Jersey who are involved politically, most of their stories, 99% of the stories is started with volunteering locally. So if the community wants to be engaged politically, they need to be engaged on a local level on a volunteer basis because that's what gets people to know who they are as as people. Uh, they're not the monsters that the media makes them to be. Uh, they're people with families and, and concerns similar to what any other American has. One of the basic definitions that I understand about politics, and for some reason, God has made me remember this from my freshman year in college. And, and you, you ask, politics is the art of who gets what, when, how, and why. So that's exactly hits to your point. Your taxes are being collected by the government that is run by people that either represent or don't represent your values. So if you want people who represent your values, you need to get engaged. You need to uh, vote or you need to run yourself. Otherwise, they're going to make decisions that may not please you. And then all oh, what you're going to do is sit down and complain about it. And complaining is not going to get us anywhere. And if we want to help back home, we really have to have a bigger voice in this country to do that. You're I'm so impressed by new. I actually I'm thinking I'm going to move there because I want to be in an environment where the people look like me, sound like me and care about the same things that I, that you and I care about. And I, I think we share. You, right? Yeah, no, believe me, I think I'm going to do that. Um, when I was young, you know, my uh, brother was an engineer. My uncle was an engineer. He was a guy. My uncle was a. Uh, Arab Khoury, uh Nick Khoury from uh, uh, Beit Jala in Palestine. He invented the pop top uh, flip, the little metal thing. I don't know mm -hmm. if you remember those little things you pull off of a pop can. He he okay. was the designer that that invented yeah. that. And and then several of my cousins were all doctors, heart surgeons, everything you name them. When I said I was going to be a journalist, my parents had a fit. They yeah. said, "What? What?" Why are yeah. you going to throw your life away? But I ended up covering Chicago City Hall for almost 18 years, and I learned how important it was. And one of the most important places was the U.S. Conference of Mayors. 
Mm-hmm. Now, with your 30 elected officials, how many of them are mayors, do you think, in New Jersey? I Would believe there is there is uh, three Muslim uh, mayors and there's two Arab Christians that I know of. Uh, one of them was just elected yesterday in the city of Patterson, the third largest city so, in the state. That's Andre Seya. Yes. He's, he's half Lebanese, half Syrian. You, you got to help me get him on the show, too, to talk to him because... You, he, others are inspiring, but you now have enough members to have an Arab mayor's caucus at the U.S. Conference of Mayors. And that U.S. Conference of Mayors pretty much defines policy in terms of how cities spend the money that we pay as taxpayers. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I want to see you become the president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors or Andre Syed, one of the two. Inshallah. No, but that should be like that's got to be your drive. No, you know, and that's that's part of the discussion is you know this this the inspiration as as we grow. But yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. It has to be. We have to create our caucuses uh, as as particularly as we grow now in, in on a state level in New Jersey and on 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 many levels that we're we're becoming part of. What what's the toughest challenge? So you get into office. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk our, to the community and um, and non-Arabs, Arabs and non-Arabs alike, Muslims, non-Muslims alike. What's yeah. the toughest challenge that you confront, you know, every day and you just hit yourself on the head and say, why do we do this or why why don't we change? Is there something that stands out that you wish would change in our community? Well, I, I you know, um, ethnic politics, you know. And, and look, I'm very proud of who I am and where I come from. But I think when it comes to politics, we need to, to vote as Americans. Uh, we need to vote based on, on, on issues. Um, and un- unfortunately, um, communities get played based on ethnicities. And, you know, it's, it's the divide and conquer type of situation. And we need to get above that uh, to electing good politicians uh, that will move our local communities and essentially our nation forward. I, you know, I, I'm concerned. I, I don't think that we have statesmen anymore um, that, that are leading the country in the right direction. You know, we're just going with, with the flow. We're going with, with, you know, from one crisis to another. You need a strong leader and that only comes when we start electing good people on a local level to to move our country in the right direction. So would you say the priority is being American first? And as an Amer- and as a successful American with influence, I think we could have 10 times more influence on what happens back in the Middle East. Do you think that I'm right or am I wrong? Do you think Yeah, listen, my position as mayor is all about policy. But when you call me and say, I want you to speak to Arab Americans, absolutely 100%. But when I'm in City Hall, I don't talk about Arabs or Muslims. I talk about issues. And that's what we have to do. But that doesn't take me away from being an Arab or a Muslim. And when I go in the community, um, I, I want to motivate them. I want to listen to their issues. And I listen to the issues of, of Latinos and African-Americans and so on and so forth. Part of my success was because I built coalitions. Uh, so 
So those are extremely important for our community. I, we have to, you have to set up a uh, Arab caucus, Arab Muslim caucus of elected officials. Over the last, I'd say, 10, 15 years, I've seen a growth in, um, you know, uh, Arab American, Muslim American involvement in politics. I think that's phenomenal. I, when I got into journalism, it was so hard. People would look at me and say, are you, what are you, Puerto Rican, Mexican? I'd say, look, I'm uh, Arab and oh, Arab. You know, it's like they were shocked. Why are you here? You know, like I didn't belong there. And there were no politicians uh -huh. who could educate them and say, listen, the Arab community is an important community. We need to give them money. We need to give them grants. How, how hard, once you got in office, what was one of the first things you did? Obviously, I like your principle that you fight for better education. You fight against crime. You want safety in your city. You want to make sure that uh, people get the services they get. But as you pointed out, that doesn't mean you don't care about the Arab community. What, was there anything you could do that you did for them to help wake them up and say, listen, this is the system we have to be in? So I did something for others that I think helps Arabs so, or Muslims. When I first became mayor, and that was November of 2005, one of the, the questions I asked, because my local community used to light the crescent every Ramadan for to celebrate the Muslim community. I said, do we do a Christmas tree? And they said, no, we don't. We haven't done so. And my community used to be uh, and continues to be, but it was all Dutch conservative Christian. And I said, you know what? We are going to light a Christmas tree. And in the very following month, we lit a Christmas tree in front of the municipal building. And that has been a tradition now that's been running for 20, uh, I'm sorry, 17 years. Uh, so, but I think that serves not only that community and celebrates it, but serves my community because now they know that we're not who they say we are and then intolerable and so on and so forth. Uh, but when it comes to the Arab community and the Muslim community, obviously um, I, I do a lot in terms of, fundraising for candidates, um, even taking young people. For example, my municipal administrator is a Muslim Bengali young man who was my student in high school. Uh, when he was appointed four years ago, he was the youngest uh, municipal administrator in the history of the state of New Jersey. Um, I travel around the country to speak about politics, fundraising for uh, charitable uh, work. Um, I've traveled to Bangladesh to uh, fundraise and speak about the Rohingya refugees. I traveled to Tunisia after the Arab uh, Spring in Tunisia to speak to um, young people there from the Middle East about um, the interaction between local governments and nonprofit organizations. I've traveled seven times inside Syria to bring relief and awareness to the Syrian plight. Um, so my town is a one square mile town, but as you know, you've heard my name and, and uh, thank God many others heard my name. It doesn't matter the size of the platform. Uh, what matters is the impact. And I think we're, we're making good impact in terms of uh, motivating others to, to get engaged in the local communities and run for office. We only have a few minutes left and maybe I, I ask you if 
what you think of the Biden administration. And then also, if there's something else you want to talk about that I haven't asked you, I, you know, I don't like to dominate everything as a reporter. We think we know all the questions and answers. What do you think of Biden first and then uh, anything else that you think uh, we should be telling the audience out there? Well, look, I mean, I I am a Democrat, um, so I I, I believe in, in most of the policy that, that is moving forward. I, you know, when it comes to locally, uh, we have been supported. Uh, we've received more federal grants in the past two years than I've ever done on, in my local community. Wow. Um, so so that's, that's good for us. I like that. Uh, when it comes to international policy, I haven't liked any uh, U.S. international policy in a very long time. I think we've we've lost our moral compass when it comes to that. Um, but outside of that, um, I think he's he's doing a decent job. Uh, it, 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 they could do better in terms of uh, communicating their agenda out there because it's definitely hurting the Democrats, at least in New Jersey, uh, particularly after that red wave we experienced last November. I think. So, so that's what I would recommend to them to work on. Any, anything else that I didn't ask you about that you want to say at all, or uh, any any other comments? I, I I don't want to derive everything myself as a journalist. We think we know everything as journalists. Yeah, no, no. Listen, I think uh, I, I definitely I want to hit on the point where you, your family told you what's what's wrong with you becoming a uh, a, a journalist. Um, listen, not everyone is meant to be a doctor and an, and an engineer. Uh, my family wanted me to be a doctor as well. And uh, I quickly said, there's no way. Uh, I went to school for business management and now I'm in the education field. Uh, I, I was a teacher um, and we need to be in all aspects of life. We need to be in unions. We need to be teachers. We need to be nurses. We need to be police officers. Uh, everything that is part of our American life. Uh, if, uh, you know, if you're living in the U.S., you need to um, be part of society. That doesn't mean you, you have to lose your identity, but you do have to be a part of the larger society. All right. My guest, Mohammed T. Kerula, is the mayor of the borough of Prospect Park. I think by accident I said Prospect Heights earlier because, uh, because we have one right near here in Chicago. Prospect Park in New Jersey, Syrian-American immigrant. And uh, if I had to vote on somebody who best represents what I'd like to see our Americans do, um, he would be the guy. And you're so successful in politics. You, you're a role model. And I hope we can bring you back on sometime to discuss uh, other political issues too. I, I would like to mention one more thing. I don't know if you saw my movie, Mayor Muhammad, yet. No, I haven't. So there's a documentary about some of my work for between probably 2015 and 2017. Mayor Muhammad, the movie, is on a lot of streaming media right now. You got to send me the link to that, and I'm going to share that, and I'm going to watch it. Thank you. Will do. Thank you, Ray. Pleasure. All right. Mayor Mohammed. Uh, Mohammed Farella is the mayor of the Borough Prospect Park in New Jersey. Thank you so much. It was a Thank real you. pleasure to have you on the radio show. Pleasure is all mine. Take care. And everybody, I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk with our next guest, Bill uh, Dury, who is the acting director 
of the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, such an important agency, uh, is the representative office in Washington, D.C. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Imagine you're on a train track. Somewhere miles away, a train is headed your way. You can't see it yet, but it's coming. Slowly but surely. If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may be on the wrong track, and diabetes could be heading your way. Bit by bit, the danger is getting closer and closer. So should you stay on the track you're on now or move to make a change and reduce your risk? If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may qualify for the National Diabetes Prevention Program in your local community. This one-year program could be the ongoing support you need to put you on the right track. Not only did participants lose weight, they cut their risk of type 2 diabetes in half. Ready to get on board for a healthier future? Learn more about the National Diabetes Prevention Program and what else you can do to manage and prevent diabetes at michigan.gov diabetes. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. بعد تطعيم أكثر من ثلاثة بلايين شخص حول العالم بشكل كامل بلقاح كوفيد 19 تمت الآن الموافقة على تلقيح الأطفال من عمر 5 إلى 11 سنة فقد أثبتت الدراسات بعد تجارب سريرية مع أطفال حول العالم أن جرعتي اللقاح المخصصة لهم آمنة وفعالة يوصي الأطباء بتلقيح الأطفال من سن الخامسة فما فوق من أجل حماية الأصحاء منهم أو ذوي الظروف الصحية الصعبة الطفل جزء من المجتمع وهو معرض لأن يصاب بالفيروس ويمكن أن يحمله لعائلته ولمن حوله احمي طفلك وعائلتك ومجتمعك لقح طفلك ليكون بأمان في المدرسة أو مع العائلة والأصدقاء وأثناء ممارسة الرياضة تحدث لطبيبك واكتشف الحقائق بنفسك أو زر موقع michigan.gov/kids-covid-vaccine رسالة من وزارة الصحة والخدمات الإنسانية في ميشيغان. In a perfect world, everyone would be a perfect driver. Hands at nine and three, everyone. Nine and three. Everyone would follow all the rules. Please go ahead and merge. I'll make room. Thank you, fellow driver. And nothing unexpected would ever happen. Even the squirrels would know the right time to safely cross the road. In this perfect world, you wouldn't have to wear a seatbelt. But in case you hadn't noticed, we don't live in a perfect world. About a thousand people in Michigan die each year in vehicle crashes, and thousands more are injured. Wearing your seatbelt reduces your risk of death in a crash by 45% in a car and by 60% in a pickup truck. So until we find a perfect world to drive in, make our imperfect world safer by buckling up. A message from the Michigan Office of Highway Safety Planning. 
At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. The Rehanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit arabnews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. Special Correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And welcome back to the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening out there in Detroit and Washington, D.C. We're going to be rebroadcast in the morning now in uh, Detroit uh, on WNZK AM 690. And, of course, in Chicago on the big 1080 AM radio, which is a very large uh, station here in the Chicagoland area, 12 noon. Uh, CST in Chicago. Uh, my guest now is Bill Durie. Uh He's the acting director of the United, Nation, United Nations Relief and Works Agency representative office in Washington, D.C. He used to be, I believe, a senior congressional advisor to the Anwar D.C. office. Um, Bill, did I get your last name pronounced properly? Ray, it, it was perfect, in fact, uh, because uh, hardly anyone ever gets it right. So well, what, uh, you're, you're you're in a great spot. Well, when we look at the name, it's uh, kind of like Arabic. It's a little misleading when you uh, try father. to. <laughs> it sounds good, though. Listen, Bill, first of all, the first question, again, many people, I think, you know, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency has been around for many years, with 73 years since 1949. Um, when something's around that long, we lose sight of what it is sometimes. Remind people, what is the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for our listeners? Most of them are Arab, but we got a lot of non-Arab Americans who are listening to the radio show. Uh, you're absolutely right. And uh, as I go door to door on Capitol Hill, um, you'd be amazed at how many times you have to kind of pick up the thread and essentially start over again let alone a, a, a pandemic where you can't even go door to door. Uh, you are correct. We were created by the UN General Assembly in 1949. Our mandate uh, from the UN General Assembly is to provide relief, humanitarian, human development and protection services to Palestine refugees until there is a just and lasting solution to their plight. 
uh, we operate uh, what we call five areas of operation. Uh, the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, Gaza, Syria, Jordan, uh, and Lebanon. Uh, we are funded mostly through voluntary contributions by governments. So while uh, the agency's existence is uh, mandated by the UN General Assembly, and in fact that mandate has to be renewed every three years, uh, how much money UNRWA receives every year is subject to the will of governments. And uh, as we saw here in 2018, sometimes that means zero. Um, so it's all right. How about I just tell you a little bit about what we do? Yes. Uh, and then, uh, so how, do, I mean, essentially, Ray, how do we operationalize that mandate? Well, we, we uh, are somewhat unique in the UN constellation in that we are a direct service provider. So in other words, we don't write checks to others implementing partners. We do it ourselves. That means that we have a staff of approximately 30,000 people, mostly, uh, I would note, uh, Palestine refugees themselves. Uh, we run a school system. Uh, we have uh, over half a million girls and boys, about 50-50 split, uh, at over 700 schools. We have, uh, and, and at those schools, in fact, we have a very uh, unique to the region curriculum. We emphasize human rights, conflict, uh, resolution, tolerance, gender equity. Um, we have a microfinance program. Uh, we provide uh, loans. We've created over the years about 700,000 jobs in the region. Uh, this year alone, we're going to write about 36,000 loans uh, to men, women, and youth. Uh, our emphasis is on economic self-reliance for refugee women. And in fact, uh, like the old joke, uh, how good is the program? It's so good, it's actually financially self-sustaining. Um, we provide uh, uh, health care consultations. Uh, we, we provide primary health care. Uh, we do about eight and a half million consultations a year at 140 primary health care clinics, food assistance to more than one million Gazans, uh, food and cash assistance to almost half a million Palestine refugees impacted by the Syria conflict, Lebanon, uh, 400,000 abject poor refugees. Uh, we have a social safety net support program. So as you can see, it's a very comprehensive effort. Yeah, and explain the hierarchy of the structure of the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. You work in Washington, D.C., correct? Yes, um, I'm here to help. No. no, I'm. but yeah, I mean, it's uh, what's the top of the UNRWA and how does it filter down into different uh, groups? Your focus is mainly here in the U.S.? In That's Washington. correct. Uh, the uh, uh, I'll talk briefly about the Washington operation, uh, but uh, your your question's important uh, about how we operate writ large. So, uh the United States is uh, UNRWA's largest supporter. Last year, it provided $339 million. Um, there are all sorts of issues that we can get into at your convenience, uh, but there's a lot of day-to-day -day interaction that comes with providing $339 million to an international organization. And a lot of our work is on that day-to-day. -day. It's also kind of interacting with the Washington uh, policy blog, uh, blob, I should say, is a better word, 
uh, the think tanks, the NGOs, the activist groups, Capitol Hill, where the check is written. Um, but back in the region, uh, we operate in, we have five fields, the, uh, and that's where the rubber really hits the road, where the services are delivered. Uh, at our headquarters in Amman and secondary headquarters in Jerusalem are our departments, education, health, um, our, uh, our IG, uh, the executive offices. So in essence, uh, for what it's worth, very organized very much like the State Department, which has geographic bureaus and functional bureaus. Uh, at UNRWA, we have fields which deliver the services, and then we have departments at headquarters. How, how many refugees are assisted today, would you say? Um, it, the uh, numbers are officially about 5.7 million, probably about 3 million actively uh, avail themselves of our services. Uh, the, the challenge is, Ray, in all honesty, people don't call you and say, we're not going to be taking part anymore or we've moved. Right. And, and right. so it, it is uh, it's sometimes a little bit challenging to get that count. But we, we base ourselves on about, uh, for budgeting purposes, uh, all of our uh, departments say uh, our health folks are going to be projecting about eight and a half million patient visits and budget accordingly. And, and it's correct to say, because I think that you touched on it, it's such an important point. It's not just to help people get back on their feet. It's to help people while a conflict that in various stages from war to detente, I guess would be a word we might say, where it goes up and down, nothing, their status still remains unresolved. And that, in terms of the correct. Middle East peace. So that's why your agency 73 years later is still around because this issue has never been resolved yet. And the purpose is to deal with the implications of that conflict from 1948 and 1967, correct? That is correct. We are uh, at the end of the day, not at the end of the day, we are a humanitarian and human development organization. Uh, the UN has people to do peace. I don't want to, I mean, we, we like to think we help create the conditions uh, for some permanent solution, but the UN frankly has uh, a different branch that handles that. And, and when we do our job well, you see folks, uh, I'm sorry, as usual, the name escapes me, but one of the lead folks on the Mars helicopter, unruh school graduate. Right. Uh, I mean, when, when we do our job well, uh, and, and we are, you know, let, let me just say, uh, although I'm incredibly good looking and, and persuasive, the fact is that there are um, folks out there who really back up uh, what we say about our performance. So, uh, for example, the uh, uh, developed nations chip in and have created an organization basically to go from international organization to international organization on a rolling basis to make sure they're getting their money's worth. Uh, what they, they completed their review and released it in 2019 for UNRWA. We are competent, resilient, resolute. We achieve humanitarian and development roles uh, results in a challenging resource constrained environment in ways that reflect a well-managed organization. Uh, the UNHCR and World Bank put out a study last year that basically we're the gold standard in refugee education. Uh, not only are our kids about a year ahead of um, uh, host country schools, we do it in an incredibly cost-effective manner. Uh, and in fact, the British Council 
uh, provided uh, like 50 or 60 awards to various schools of ours uh, as we are successfully preparing students to be responsible global citizens. Um, you know, Ray, I, pardon me if I just brag a little bit more. Nowhere was the agency on better display of what it does than during the COVID pandemic. Uh, and it was just something to be incredibly proud of how quickly this organization pivoted within days, I might add, uh, to deal with this kind of new reality and a situation made worse by the fact that, you know, Palestine refugee camps are amongst the most densely populated in the world. But within days, Ray, we shifted to telemedicine. Our health clinics became COVID, uh, COVID triage centers. We began home delivery of food and medicine. And remember, you know, we deliver, we provide food assistance to over 1 million people in Gaza alone. Uh, our teachers began producing materials uh, for remote learning. In fact, we put out uh, information to help parents deal with remote learning. And last year, we unveiled what we call a digital learning platform. Uh, and that is going to become the backbone of uh, UNRWA education going forward, particularly not just as UNRWA, but as the world uh, moves toward things like asynchronous learning. So there, there really is a lot to be proud of in working for this organization. Yeah. And I, I know that uh, uh, when Trump was the president, he completely cut off the U.S. funding, you know, and, and it was more of a political thing, I think, you know, because of uh, uh, there's always been a push from one side. And I, I'm not trying to drag you into politics, but uh, from the from the Israeli side, they'd love it to just go away. Uh, some officials have said that, but I don't think it is going to go away. And when Biden came into office, he restored the funding. Did he restore it all the way or uh, did he restore it to what you needed? Uh, we're uh, we're always short, my friend. Um, and uh, so let, let me just talk about that. First of all, you are correct. Um, but the more important part about the previous administration was um, there was a little bit of hide the ball going on. Uh, the previous administration terminated all humanitarian aid to the Palestinian people. He wasn't just picking on, no, they weren't just picking on UNRWA. And to my knowledge, this was the only group of people in the world the U.S. denied humanitarian assistance to. Uh, you are correct that under the Biden administration, um, they restored uh, support for the agency. Last year, we received about $339 million from the U.S., uh, a little below the all-time high of 360, um, but it is a an effective and good partnership that we have with the United States. And uh, what uh, I, there's been some calls, and I didn't uh, uh, clearly understand what it was, but it sounded like some people at the UN were talking about dividing up UNRWA um, and having you do other things in addition beyond the Palestinians. Ah. What was that all about? Oh, sure, sure, sure. So, uh, look, here, here is the situation. Um, the situation is that for about 10 years, uh, the U.S. has seen a steady decline in uh, revenue. Now, what did we do? Well, the first thing we did was uh, we drew down our reserves. Then we implemented austerity measures. Uh, then, uh, after austerity measures became funding freezes, um, we, you know, we're, we're doing a, a flat 
reporting a flat budget for this year. Uh, and, and so the question becomes, um, what do you do? Uh, what do you do given that situation? Right. I mean, uh, every year. Uh, so last year we ended the year with a $60 million carryover deficit. And that sounds bad, except the previous year, it was $72 million deficit. So, uh, you know, where we are is, as of today, we are looking at a, a shortfall, a year-end funding gap is what we refer to it as, for our core budget, we call the program budget, in the range of $100 million. Wow. So and it's much higher than what it was before. At, at the moment. Uh, it's a number that is constantly in flux. And in fact, there is going to be a donor conference at the UN in June uh, where this is going to be discussed. But we have a, actually uh, um, a very innovative, cool boss by the name of Philippe Lazzarini. Right. And one of the things, and here's where the confusion was, one of the things that's being explored is whether or not we will be able to utilize more partnerships with other UN agencies in order to help deliver services on yeah. our behalf. It is to be clear, not walking away from the mandate. Right. It is not walking away from Palestinian refugees. But, you know, Ray, one of these years we're going to, you know, it takes on that appearance of, of crying wolf. But as uh, Philippe has said, one of these years, this place is going to implode and, and we have to start looking at long term creative solutions. And this year, the situation is just exacerbated by the conflict in Ukraine. So, um, so, the, so the bottom line was that they were trying to find ways to help you, actually, by having oh, agencies yeah, that exist. Yeah, it was a confusing story. I'm not sure. I don't I've been a reporter 45 years and I know one of the biggest problems is with reporters themselves, they don't always write what the story is. And they made it sound like there was some effort to, you know, dilute UNRWA. But that's not the case at all. It was not, to not at all. It's in fact, it is an idea from a very innovative leader who is trying to get us out of this seeming loop that we're in. Whereas, I mean, you know, Ray, honestly, we get to points of the year where we're living month to month and even week to week. And that is no way. Uh, to help Palestinian refugees, or it is no way for our 30,000 staff to, um, yeah, you know, to live. So it's, it, it, it might not be the solution, but partnerships have a long tradition in the UN family. I believe right now, in fact, we already have 30 such partnerships. The question is whether, uh, and we're certainly not stopping our traditional fundraising, let alone walking away from our mandate or any such thing. It's just you, you've got to start looking for innovative ways to address uh, this problem. So I, I have two other questions because I, I know we're running out of time. I, I wish I had a five hour radio show because I think this topic <laughs> deserves a lot more time than I, than I than I'm able to give it. Um, first, how is the support from the Arab world been? Has, is it the same? Has it been strong? Uh, would anything stand out in terms of, you know, the support that UNRWA gets from the Arab world? We're, we're hoping for more support from the Arab world. And I know that we're not alone. In fact, uh, uh, the head of the World Food Program, uh, a former governor of South Carolina, David Beasley, testified to the Senate Appropriations Committee today. And he said, uh, yeah, they're a little light in the GCC. 
you know, if uh, we could get the, the support we need out of that region, I think it would go a long way toward addressing our funding uh, challenges. And then also, I know that there's an effort, uh, uh, a friend of mine, Hani Al-Mahmoud, uh, I always mispronounce his name, with UNRWA. Uh, I've talked to him many times. There are it, You can get support from everyday citizens. I could donate or uh, the public can donate to UNRWA, correct? Yes, and uh, two ways to do it. Uh, I, I feel, uh, first of all, you can, go, you can always go on UNRWA.org. Uh, and contribute there. Uh, but there is a wonderful partner agency here in the, uh, like a lot, the UN has a lot of partner agencies. Ours is unreusa.org, uh, where, you know, you can support us uh, through them, but they also do grassroots advocacy and things like that. All the UN organizations have a, a similar thing. There's a UNICEF USA, UNHCR USA. Uh, UNRWA USA is a terrific organization. Uh, and they can be reached at unreusa.org. All right, Bill Dury, listen, uh, it was a real pleasure speaking with you, and uh, I hope to bring you back on again um, because I think this is such an important topic for people to understand, and when they're familiar with it, I think that people are more willing to support it, and I definitely believe this is something that needs to be supported. I think it would help peace. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. And since you're from Chicago and I have a daughter-in-law who's maybe a White Sox fan, uh, get me back in the fall. We can see how things are going. We'll do that. We'll do that. All right. My guest, uh, Bill Dury, uh, acting director of the uh, United Nations Relief and Works Agency, representative office in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much, Bill. Appreciate it. Uh, it's my honor. Thank you. You're welcome. And everybody else, I just want to say thank you for listening to the show. Next week, May 18th, we're going to be talking with uh, John Conyers III, the son of the former longtime congressman who served nearly 59 years in office in the newly drawn 13th Congressional District. And on May 25th, we have a big show, one full hour. We're going to be talking with survivors of the USS Liberty, which was attacked by Israel on June 8th, 1967. 34 American soldiers were killed by the Israelis in their attack against this uh, American uh, sh uh, communication ship that was outside of, in the Mediterranean waters during the 1967 war. And 171 soldiers were seriously injured. I believe we're going to have four or five of those survivors talking about what happened that day and why. Uh, the United States has never fully investigated, and they've tried to cover this up. 34 American soldiers killed, and in my opinion, I don't think anybody cared the way they should. Listen, thank you so much. We're, uh, we're at the end of the program, uh, and I hope that uh, you'll continue listening. We'll be back next Wednesday, uh, May 18th, and I look forward to talking to you, everybody. Have a great week, um, and remember, you can go to... Um, ArabNews.com slash Ray Radio Show to listen to all our podcasts and always check out the U.S. Arab Radio Network at ArabRadio.us. Um, and I want to do a shout out to Layla Al Husseini, um, who is the uh, spirit of this radio program. Um, so thank you very much, everybody. You guys have a great day, and I hope to uh, talk to you again next week. Have a great week. Bye bye, everybody. <laughs>